Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Josiah and I serve as pastor at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. Today I'm joined again by Patricia and we're going to have a casual, light conversation, a chat about the wrath of God, (laughs) right? As a church family, we've been slowly working our way through the book of Revelation. And over the last couple of weeks, we've studied chapters 6 through 11 of that book, the breaking of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets of judgment. And to say the least, these will be you know, devastating. They are devastating uh, in description. And when they arrive, they will be devastating when they happen. It's just destruction and death and really demonic activity. And so I think we need to start here, uh, Patricia. What stood out to you as we went through those chapters? What stood out to you about the description of the Great Tribulation so far? And do you find yourself uncomfortable as we read passages like that in the Bible? I would say what stood out to me this time going through the Tribulation would be that he is worthy of all of it um, and that he is merciful. Like even in in the Tribulation, he still shows mercy to those who turn to him. Um, that probably stood out to me the most that that those that are going through the tribulation are very hardened, but there's still mercy being poured to some. So that, that stood out to me. And then what I, do I struggle with the, reading those passages? I would say years ago, I would say as a child, I struggled immensely with this. Like it was like terror, like tears, like just fear, but not, not anymore. Now I, now I just have a trust I, I trust that the Lord uh, keeps his own and I trust that he is just and sometimes I can forget that he is worthy, but um, I am reminded of that, that, um, that yes, he is that holy and it is just for him to, um, to punish sin. So yeah, I don't struggle with, with it anymore, I wouldn't say. In your defense, some of the description is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I guess a follow-up question would be, what changed between when you would read it years ago and be terrified at the description of the demonic activity and the hail and blood coming down from the heavens, which is scary, to now where you see actually between the elements of the tribulation, God's mercy and his provision Again, what changed there to allow for that shift? Well, now I understand that believers will be um, taken away from the tribulation. And that gave me incredible peace. Um, I didn't have to fear that I would go through that. Also, I've said before here that I I wasn't assured of my salvation or um, I wasn't always sure that I would that I was saved and saved forever so then it was like well what if I do something and then I will go through the tribulation so it was always this uncertainty and this fear that I would have to go through that but even knowing that you won't be present for that tribulation it doesn't change the reality that it's going to happen to real people who yes have not accepted the gospel who are under God's wrath as Romans 1 says but still, you read that account in the Revelation of Jesus Christ that John records, and you think, man, that is intense. Mm-hmm. So how do we reconcile, or have you ever had trouble reconciling a God that we like to celebrate in the West, perhaps, a God of love and mercy, and he is those things 
with this God that we see depicted rightly and truly, but still depicted all the same in these pages of Revelation? That's a hard question because there are people that that we love that are still under um, the wrath of... personal. Right? Yeah, and, and that's hard to reconcile. At the same time, there are times in my life when I see the evil in the world and I just feel so angry and frustrated and helpless that that those people are still around doing like incredible evil. And when I think of the wrath of God, it gives me peace and it gives me um, comfort that God will, he's just, right? And he will make it all right. He will bring justice. So in that way, I find it um, comforting and it's, it's good. It's, it's uh, celebratory in a way because there's a lot of evil out there and, and it's just not right. And at the same time, when I think of people that um, that I love and people who aren't exactly doing these horrendous things, they're still they still haven't um, received Jesus um, as a son of God, and and they're still under wrath. So that's hard. It, it it is both things. Yeah, maybe part of the issue is that we conflate a human view of wrath and the wrath that we feel at times even justified, quote-unquote, justified wrath or vindictiveness or a longing for justice, like you just said, with God's wrath. So how do you see the distinction between the wrath that we feel and the wrath of God? How are they the same? How are they different? What makes his right and true and just and good and not in conflict with his love? And then our wrath, less than all of that. (laughs) Well, God is pure, right? His motives are always pure. Um, He's consistent with what is right and what is wrong always, or we are not, right? We kind of change and we often, there's something in it for us or that makes it quite different. We're not holy. And I think that's where it comes, that's where that point that he is holy and all sin, the big ones, so to speak, and um, the not so big ones are offensive and, and he can't be around it. So that's why his wrath is different from ours, right? We are just as guilty as everyone else. So when, when we are wrathful, it's not the same as, as God who has never sinned and mm-hmm. is perfect, right? It's just not the same. Yeah, I guess I don't even know what that wrath would feel like. <laughs> when I feel wrath, or even like you said, when you look around the world and you see abject wickedness, just terrible, terrible things happening. And there is a sense of wrath or vengeance that swells inside of us i know in my heart of hearts that there is some malice mixed in there Mm. and that there's some bitterness that there is some unholy elements that is Mm. mixed in with my what would otherwise be a god-honoring wrath right a hatred of evil i'm just incapable of keeping that pure you know it's one of the reasons i think that the bible tells us to deal with our anger quickly as believers don't let the sun go down on your anger lest you give, give the enemy a foothold right for sin why because Anger is not altogether sinful. We should be angry when we see injustice. It's just when I hold on to anger as a sinful human being, I will pollute it very quickly. So we deal with it quick. I feel this anger against injustice and I want to quickly give it back to the Lord because he's the one who can handle anger without polluting it with sin. I will mix it quickly with bitterness, with with wrath, with or not with wrath, but with um, other pollutants, right? Or malice. I just want to see them get theirs kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. God doesn't do that. He responds, his wrath comes out of a pure character, like you said, of a, of a perfect justice. And there's a sense in which 
God is love and wrath is not in competition with his love. It's actually an expression of his love in a way where justice will be served, the evil will be punished, righteousness rewarded, and wrath needs to happen for all of that to take place. Just uh, Judgment needs to take place. And so, but it is hard to comprehend because we just have no awareness or experience of such purity mm-hmm. of wrath. And so when we read this, when I read Revelation 6 through, we're at chapter 11 now, when I read that, I kind of import my view of wrath into the text and it offends me. But if I just let it say what it says, it's God's wrath. <laughs> That's a different story, I guess. Yeah, I'm thinking of our version of wrath is more like vengeance, where God's is more close to justice, where it is as much a punishment yeah. as a vindication for, yeah. right? Um, so it is bringing, it's always making things right. Yeah. It's always fixing what is wrong, not just... Um, for sure. Vengeance. <laughs> but even vengeance can be pure. Because mm. God's the one who says, vengeance is mine. Sure. I will repay. It's just whatever words we use in English to describe this, I like what you said, making things right and what it takes to make things truly right to get the root of that cavity out. Because we don't know how deep that goes. God does it with a purity that we know not. We just don't know that sinless reaction and with his omniscience that knows everything and knows how deep the sin goes, knows how deep the deep the rot goes and what it's going to take to unroot it, uh, we don't see any of that. We're not capable of dealing with it. And everything offends us because it touches our lives. And we're so, it's just, again, we're dealing with apples and oranges here. And so I think it's important to, when we come to Revelation, to understand the difference here and not project onto God our human sensibilities. And mm-hmm. I think I said a few weeks ago that, I think that's at least one of the reasons why Revelation 4 and 5 exist uh, right before the wrath is poured out because we see the heavenly throne room mm-hmm. and we're reminded, oh, wait a second, God's not like us. <laughs> you know, He's high and lifted up. He is other. He is holy, holy, holy. And so he's actually worthy to do this and he is trustworthy in carrying it out. So this past Sunday, we talked about some reactions to God's wrath and they are myriad people read, hear of God's wrath, and there are many responses that people, whether knee-jerk responses or thoughtful responses, have to those depictions. I'm wondering if we can talk about that now. So what are some responses maybe that you've had to God's wrath, and you kind of alluded to that earlier, or just some responses that are helpful, unhelpful, appropriate, inappropriate? How do people respond to uh, the anger, the wrath of God, the justice of God? First thing that came to my mind is sometimes TV shows, they just like laugh. Like, ah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, right. Like, what a joke. Like, that's never going to happen. Some people are definitely deeply offended and they twist then they change the Bible because they just can't, they have no room in their, in their mind for that. Um, they won't allow it, right? So they will twist the Bible to say whatever they want to say. But I was saving for myself. That's why I said that the reminder that God is worthy. I need to remind that sometimes because even though I have grown through the years, I, I sometimes I struggle all of a sudden. Like you just like, but why? <laughs> so th- to go back and remember that he is worthy, then I can accept his wrath as like just and right and to trust it and to submit to it, right? So th- I feel like it, it goes from one extreme, like complete laughing at it, 
not giving it a second thought, actually ridiculing it to mm, struggling with it. So we change it to something that we like to just to sometimes just struggling with it and be like, Lord, help me, help me to um, understand it, submit to it. And then I guess the, the most mature is to just fully trust it all the time and celebrate it and long for it and mm-hmm. all that. It's interesting in chapter five, we know this book that's being opened in Revelation is containing God's wrath. And John knows that the beings in the heavenly scene know that. And yet they are grieved when they can't find someone to open it, which means that they long for that wrath to be poured out. Mm. Like you said, we anticipate, we accept this wrath. We look forward to this wrath in some way, not a way that, you know, we're excited to see that the chaos that ensues, but we know what comes after. Mm-hmm. And so there is this anticipation. We know all the way, even the preaching of John the Baptist, when he was speaking to the Pharisees and they were expecting this kingdom, he said, the ax is laid at the root of the tree. There has to come judgment before that kingdom, mm-hmm. all through the Old Testament. So they know that judgment comes before the kingdom. And for and for us as well, when we want this new heavens and new earth and everything that comes in the consummation of all things, there has to be a purging first. There has to be the judgment of the wicked or we cannot have paradise. <laughs> there has to be an eradication of sin or we can't have heaven on earth, right? They, they have to go hand in hand. And so there can be this anticipation. Lord, may it come, not because we relish the wrath, mm. but because of what we... First off, it, it exhibits his holiness, and so we will worship that. In fact, you mentioned that a moment ago. In Revelation, oftentimes they worship him for his wrath. Mm. I mean, in Revelation, I think it's chapter 14 coming up, they are celebrating in heaven. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, I think they were worshiping in heaven because his wrath has been poured out upon the wickedness. There is a celebration of worship of him who is worthy. But I like also what you said about how you know people laugh at it, they dismiss it pretty obvious defense mechanism. You know, if it's, if this is real, which I won't believe it is because then that would implicate mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to laugh at it. I'm going to downplay it. I'm going to minimize it. Or I like, I think you said to change it, mm-hmm. to soften it. There are other people who, I wonder if there are people like you when you were younger who just fear it. Mm-hmm. It paralyzes them, which is encouraging because at least they're taking the text seriously, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Wow, this is real. And there is a holy God kind of like, those who kill the witnesses in chapter 11, Revelation 11, and then see them resurrected and ascend, and they're terrified. They're in fear of God. And there's an acknowledgement there as well. Any other possible responses? No, I'm just thinking of, of our son. He was in the listening to the message yesterday, and he was a little shocked by it. But today, he's like, as you're talking, he's like, I can't wait for the tribulation. And I was like, really? I was kind of like, is he just like wanting to see all this chaos? But he says, like, because we know what comes after. So that's why he focused on is like, what, just what you were saying. He wants the tribulation to come because it means that we're going to heaven um, or that heaven is, is coming, right? And what does Jesus call it? The birth pangs. Mm-hmm. And birth pangs are horrendous, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> Having experienced it secondhand. Uh, but what comes next? Mm-hmm. Does it make it worth it? Does mm-hmm. does it make uh, in the endurance of the pain worth it? And sounds like that's what... He was kind of getting at a little bit, yeah. although without the language. Yeah, so it was um, in his um, 10-year-old mind, it's like that, come Lord Jesus, right? Which is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the cross at this point, because at the cross, we see the wrath of God and the mercy of God kind of coalesce into one action. I wonder if we can talk about that for a bit. 
why is it that those who belong to Christ need not fear any wrath because of what happened at the cross? Well, Jesus took upon himself that wrath right for us. And so we are freed. And that's huge because that's why I lived in, in so much fear for a while. I just, I didn't, I don't know what was missing there, but to know that, that Jesus paid it all, I, I'm free. And I still don't quite understand the, the depths of that, hmm. especially as we talk about how much wrath there is and that, wow, it was completely, I am completely exempt from it. It's still can't get it. How is it that Jesus could take the wrath of God upon himself? Like you said, it's a lot of wrath. Mm-hmm. Wrath that was owed to us. We're the rebels. We're the ones who have, in an infinite way, committed treason against the throne. Right? Not Jesus. We are owed what we're reading about in Revelation. And it would be just for every human being to receive the full brunt of that tribulation eternally so but how is it that jesus steps in and and takes that well first thing i thought as you're asking this question this deep question (laughs) is that that just shows how perfect god's character is like he is perfectly just and perfectly merciful and perfectly gracious um that he cannot just have the wrath he also has to have the perfect mercy and perfect compassion it just never fails his character never fails so in the same way that we can count on his wrath we can count on on his forgiveness for for all who come to him and yeah it's just Mm mind-boggling that it it could be all those things perfectly so in romans 3 paul writes for everyone has sinned we all fall short of god's glorious standard yet god in his grace freely makes us right in his sight He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. If God, as some people wish he would do, would just shrug at sin, if he was really all-powerful, couldn't he just say, oh, I forgive you? If he was really good, couldn't he just say, I know you're a sinner, but wave my divine wand and you're forgiven? What we fail to realize when we think that way is that that would mean that God is not as just Mm -hmm. and as consistent and as unchanging and as good as we need him to be. No, we want him to be just for some of the reasons that you Mm -hmm. said. We want evil punished. We want things made right. And God has to be just for that to happen. But how does God remain just and loving all at once? How does he pardon sinners who remain sinners. Like, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and yet we are pardoned. How does he do that and remain consistently just? Well, that price still has to be paid somewhere. And so he poured out his just wrath on Jesus, who knew no sin. He didn't know any sin, and yet received the full brunt of just wrath. And in a sense, he is like an umbrella. The wrath falls, and Jesus says, hide under me 
so that you find shelter from this very deserved storm. He says, anyone who comes to me, you can hide in me. I will give you my righteousness, impute your righteous, or my righteousness to your account, um, and I will die for your sins. So God remains in that moment both the just and the justifier. He is remaining righteous and he is imputing righteousness to those who trust in Jesus. We don't become righteous. I think you would agree with that. Like when we trust Jesus, I'm not righteous, uh, but Jesus is and we hide in him. And so that's how God can be both completely just, pouring out his wrath, but also pardon sinners because of his son who bore the brunt of that punishment for us. Again, the cross is just this beautiful picture of where this justice and mercy meet in the person work of Christ, who was the God-man. He became human so that he could die and he could represent humanity. And he is fully God, truly God, so that he could pay for the sins of all who would trust in him throughout time and space and endure the brunt of wrath. It's quite an amazing picture. And there is that shelter from the wrath to come. And we want to be careful not to bifurcate too much that when he came the first time he did die on the cross rise from the dead but when he comes a second time that's when the justice will be completely fulfilled and we will see that in perpetuity something to look forward to like our son apparently yes any final thoughts on this issue of god's wrath maybe not the most comfortable topic to think about but an important one one that maybe doesn't get as much airtime as it should Uh, we like to think more and talk about more about the pleasant parts but in a way this can be quite pleasant seen in the right light yeah i don't know this keeps coming to my mind i thought it was so amazing that last sunday in our our ozone class we were teaching the kids sunday school sunday school sorry we're going through nahum and we're talking use that same passage that you alluded to last week um that he is our refuge that we can take um refuge in him i guess and i thought it was so perfect and just so telling of how it's so important to talk about these things as as hard as it can be sometimes to struggle to it and at the end of the day to trust that he is our our refuge and um, we can trust him and we can be um, anticipate his coming knowing that he will take care of us and that it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. Well, listener, hopefully this conversation has been somewhat helpful, <laughs> although it's a, a harder topic. We pray that it has encouraged you to certainly anticipate a time when judgment will no longer be needed because things will be perfect, Uh, that you would not harden your heart to these things, but to acknowledge the God who is just, who is holy, and maybe even by this power of the Spirit of God that we would come to a place where we can worship him for the justice and wrath to come as well. That is our prayer for you. And until we speak again, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.